I just want to take a minute and thank each of you guys for leaving a review. Whether you're leaving a review for the podcast or the protein powder, it really means a lot, especially as I take this maternity break and take a step back from social media. It really is the way that people find us, like this awesome review from Betsy. I'm a huge fan. Her style is so approachable, easy to understand, relatable, full of joy and realness. I constantly feel like I'm having a meaningful conversation with a best girlfriend, but at the same time, learning something new and valuable. I look forward to these podcasts and I'm amazed by all that Kelly does to reach the masses. It makes such a significant difference. And I love the variety of topics and guests that she covers in each episode. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Kelly. Well, thank you, Betsy. I seriously can't tell you how important it is to have people like you just take a minute out of their day and say how they feel. Whether it's about the podcast, the protein powder, the books, the new journal, that's how people find us. I am an army of one with an awesome team member and um, we're just... We're just trying to continue to get you guys the good stuff. So thank you so much for your time. If you guys missed the course sale over Black Friday, do not worry. We have another sale coming up over the holidays um, leading into New Year's that includes your ability to join the bonus Zoom hours that'll be offered in January. So I'll be taking maternity leave December, January, and February, but I will be hosting Zoom classroom hours in January for those that want to feel motivated and want to learn something new, learn how to balance their blood sugar, regulate hunger hormones, and really just live a flexible lifestyle and really build that foundation of wellness in their life for themselves and for their family. Remember, I have two courses, the Fab Four Fundamentals, which goes through nutrition that I explain in my books, plus extra information. And I have the Fab Four Pregnancy for anyone who's looking to get pregnant or is currently pregnant. Even if you're in the first um, few months of breastfeeding, it's amazing information about the nutrients your body needs to provide and deliver to baby for their cognitive development and growth. So check all those things out. Um, Let me know what you're loving. And I look forward to connecting with each and every one of you that joined the course in January. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. I'm so excited about today's guest, Melissa Groves Azero. She is a registered dietitian who went back to school when she turned 40. She's the hormone dietitian. She's an integrative and functional medicine dietitian specializing in women's health and hormones, PCOS, fertility, and hormone testing. She launched her first book, A Balanced Approach to PCOS, in August, and she has courses on the subject as well. We just finished up PCOS. PCOS Awareness Month. And I have been on a terror trying to interview as many experts in the field of female hormones and infertility and pregnancy as possible, just because I feel like there's a there's a lack of information out there when it comes to these type of diagnoses. And, um, and we all need to be our own advocate. So I'm trying to get you guys all the information that you can to do that. Um, So it is such a pleasure to invite Melissa on the show. Melissa, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to chat all things hormones with you. I know. We we got started before the show, before we started recording the show, and I had congratulated you on your launch, but you thought I was talking about your courses and I was talking about your book, but all PCOS related. So we're definitely going to touch on that today. Um, And I think what is a topic that I really like to dive deep into with you today is amenorrhea, which is the loss of a period. Um, Just because we both have, I'm sure in our practice, you probably see more of it based on your specialty, but having a client go through that is really hard to watch and to see and to have spotting come back or to have someone's period return for a month or two and then be nowhere to be seen again. I would just, I'd love to get into that today as well. But before we get into the nitty gritty on the science, I'd love to know your personal story uh, and what took you kind of out of your fast paced New York life into what is the hormone dietitian life and um, how we can, how you started helping other people. Yeah. So I worked in New York City advertising as a copywriter for 15 years. Um, I actually went to school in New York the first time. I majored in dance and English and I just stayed. You know, naturally that made me uh, qualified for advertising, a job in advertising. Um, And 
You know, I think I experienced what I see a lot of people in those types of career experience. Um, I was working 90-hour weeks. I was living out of a suitcase more than I was in my apartment in New York. Um, And it just got to the point where I was really um, having too much coffee to get started in the morning and too much red wine to wind down at night. And I had actually... I ran the New York City Marathon in 2008. And so I was qualified 2009 and 2010. And both times I got about three quarters of the way through the training and realized I wasn't properly trained. And I, you know, because of how much I was working, because of how much I wasn't sleeping and all of the things. And I didn't want to run it again just to run it. So after that second year of having to bail on the marathon again, um, which was something I really wanted to do, I really stopped to think about how much my career was affecting my own personal, mental, and physical health. And so I started to think like, okay, I need an escape plan. What can I do? And that's when I realized I was surrounded by bookshelves filled with cookbooks and diet books and nutrition books and food politics books. And I was like, what would I have to do in order to make this happen? And so that was when I started um, going back to school part-time until it got to the point where, where I really had to go full-time in person, wrapped that up, did the dietetic internship, and here I am. Um, How I got involved in hormones, I was working my first job as an RD. I was working in the office of a functional medicine practitioner, and they sent me all the women who wanted to lose weight, which is basically, you know, most of the women who come into a dietitian's office. And, you know, functional medicine really looks at the root causes. You know, why can't you lose weight? Because I'd be looking at their diets and their exercise, like, something is not adding up here. Like what's going on? And that was where I would discover that there was almost always some sort of hormone imbalance underlying that, whether that was low thyroid or high cortisol or estrogen dominance um, or this condition called PCOS. And that was really where I first worked with someone with PCOS and it just made me really mad about how PCOS is treated by conventional medicine. You know, these women are basically told just lose weight. Here's the pill. Come back when you want fertility meds. And that's about all that they give them when the truth is that nutrition and lifestyle make such a big difference. Absolutely. Um, so you, are, you aren't personally afflicted with PCOS. It's not a diagnosis that you deal with. You just, you are fighting for the unheard. Yeah. No, I'm not (laughs) saying I haven't had hormone imbalances. I definitely have. I actually, um, you know, really struggled with my own hormones through for through the years and even more so in New York, which now knowing what I know, um, how much my stress was contributing to my estrogen dominance and my cortisol issues. And, you know, I was diagnosed with PMDD several years back. And it's just living that kind of lifestyle. Um, you don't have a lot of, um, I kind of call it like cushioning. I always say when I left New York, it was like I, ha- I had arthritis of the brain. You know, in arthritis, like all the cushioning is gone in your joints. I felt like that was how my brain felt. Like it was just nerve on nerve in there at that point. And I had no resilience left. And it really took, you know, leaving that situation and leaving that career to be able to build that back. Definitely. Well, I think a number of clients or patients that I work with, with other functional MDs and clients that I work with in my practice they mirror a lot of your experience. It's a lot of females who have quote unquote done it perfectly for a year, 18 months, and they don't know why they're gaining weight and they don't know why it's not working. And then they get their labs drawn and you know they, they get their labs back and their blood drawn. And we're just kind of like, okay, there is a level of hormone imbalance here. And it's very rare that I see someone have sort of like that perfect hormone balance. There's always like a little bit of something Let's unpack some of the stuff you saw in your um, internship and um, and through your work. Um, estrogen dominance was something you mentioned. 
cortisol, elevated cortisol, and then PCOS. I'd love for you to just unpack what we might be looking for on blood tests and how that imbalance might look. And then we can dive deeper sort of into PCOS, some of those side effects, like the loss of a period and and how you work with women to heal that. Yeah. First of all, I saw none of this in my internship. (laughs) They They don't train you on hormones. I mean, I remember... Uh, PCOS being mentioned maybe in medical nutrition therapy class. And, you know, I, if I remember correctly, the recommendation was they need to lose weight. Um, and Sounds about right. So, um, so all my learning on hormones has really been, you know, beyond the period of official schooling. It's, it's all been, you know, self-study and learning from mentors and doctors and, you know, other practitioners within this space. Um, And it's been really interesting. You know, I mean, I say this is the stuff they don't teach you in school, but that goes not just for dietitians, that goes for all women. Um, You know, when I'm working with somebody who's trying to get pregnant and I ask them, well, are you ovulating? And if so, what day? They don't even know what I'm asking. (laughs) You know, they say, oh, my my app says that I ovulate on day 14. And I'm like, well, that's great. You know, the app doesn't know you. How does it, how does it know? Um, So it really is an an education. And I think a lot of women get thrown into it because something goes wrong, (laughs) you know? For sure. And I mean, you're bringing up a really good point that there are little diagnostic tests that you can buy at CVS that will tell you when you're ovulating. And there are little diagnostic tests like glucometer that you can buy to understand your blood sugar. Like there, there are little tools at our disposal, but, um, but it really isn't enough. And what you're, you know, what I think you're shedding light on, which I love, you know, people like you, people like Lily Nichols, people, RDs who take it a step further and go like, okay, I learned what I learned in this like publisher's book in this class about like the USDA triangle in my plate. And now I'm actually going to look at like what functional MDs are doing and how they're actually working in the clinic with people to heal imbalances. And I mean, that's obviously why you're here. So let's go, let's go into some of the hormone imbalances that you have worked with and, um, and then we'll dive into PCOS. Yeah, it's actually kind of funny that you mentioned the continuous glucose meter because I'm wearing one today for the first time ever. And I'm so excited. I'm dorking (laughs) out about it. I'm like, you know, I I actually fed it a piece of chocolate earlier just to see. (laughs) I mean, this is the kind of thing like I think that every in the future, based on the lifestyle diseases that we see from PCOS to prediabetes, diabetes, heart disease, Alzheimer's, all these things that are hypertension, all of these disease states that are lifestyle disease states that are linked to elevated blood sugar and insulin resistance and, and this like underlying inflammation that's like kind of dulling any communication between our cells and our hormones. Um, the fact that we could have these all walk around like robots with these devices and then actually understand how you personally are being affected by the food you're eating. I mean, it seems like an obvious answer to me that would fix a lot of the problems because we'd all walk around and go like, oh, well, yeah, I know Kimmy can literally get away with eating like X, Y, and Z. But when I have it, I my alarm bells are going off on my, on my glucometer. You know, like I just think I... It seems so easy to me, and that's such a motivator for people to actually have their own information. I mean, look at how Fitbit and some of these companies like really affect change in people. I mean, yeah, it does. It's like your Apple Watch is like, hey, lazy, get up and walk around. You're like, okay. (laughs) It's like, hey, did you breathe today? Okay, I should do that. Yeah, I know. I know. God, I just can't wait until we're like Europe where we don't have to like have a doctor prescribe it to us. Yeah, no, I, I'm doing it as part of a study. So I feel really lucky because I haven't had a chance to, to, you know, I've dug into obviously a lot of my data already. Um, but yeah, this is a piece like I really don't know how specific meals, you know, affect me. I'm, I'm actually a little scared to see, you know, how the coffee affects me, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So yeah, so the the hormone imbalances that I work with in my practice primarily, um, PCOS is the biggest. So that's the majority of my clients. Um, some of them are um, actively trying to conceive. Some of them are, you know, just wanting to get their cycles back and their hormone health back and be healthier overall. Um, I do work with PCOS fertility clients, um, usually when it's what I call PCOS plus. So if they have PCOS and endometriosis or PCOS and high prolactin, like those really kind of complicated cases are the ones that I work with one-on-one. I do work with PCOS in group programs as well. Um, which is nice because they have that support aspect. Um, for PCOS, you know, a few things I'm looking for when I'm working with them. Um, first of all, I'm looking to see whether their androgens are coming more from their ovaries in the form of testosterone or from the adrenals in the form of DHEA, because then the treatment approach is totally different. Um, you know, we do focus on a blood sugar balancing diet for all of them. I always say, consider yourself insulin resistant until proven otherwise. If you have <laughs> I'm, I'm stealing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and we work on, you know, inflammation, minimizing exposure to things like inflammatory fats. Um, while increasing those anti-inflammatory foods like omega-3s, ginger, turmeric. Um, So in order to look at those things, um, I'm doing, uh, I'm a big fan of the Dutch test for hormone testing. I feel like it gives us the, you know, biggest overall picture because it shows not only where the hormones are coming from, what the outright levels are, but it also shows what's happening to them when you get rid of them. So how you're metabolizing, or I know detox is kind of a dirty word, but like how you're detoxing your hormones um, as well, which, you know, really just means metabolizing. (laughs) Yeah. Can you explain that? Because I don't think a lot of people realize they just assume that we're producing these hormones and they're just in us and those levels are just kind of hanging. Can you explain the process of the production of hormone all the way through metabolism? Yeah. So hormones are made. um, That's actually a really complicated. (laughs) You can simplify. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, hormones are made by various um, endocrine glands in your body, which are primarily controlled by your pituitary gland in your brain. Um, your pituitary gland is not the one in charge. Your hypothalamus, which is a region of your brain, is the one telling the pituitary what to do. The pituitary tells all the other guys what to do. So the ovaries, adrenal, thyroid, all the things, pancreas, it's all coming from there. Um, your hypothalamus is reading the input from the outside world and your body and making the decisions about what to do. So if it says, oh, we need more energy or, you know, she seems a little slow, sends the message to the thyroid, like, hey, crank up the metabolism a little bit. Um, On the other hand of that is what I see much more often with women is when stress is super, super high, um, your hypothalamus decides you know, oh, she really can't take much more stress. Let's shut this whole situation down. Um, Tells the thyroid to, you know, stop making as much thyroid hormone, Um, you know, because the the cortisol coming out of the adrenals is so, so high. So there's all these built-in feedback loops and, you know, hormone problems are not the problem. They're a symptom of an underlying problem. So figuring out what's causing that underlying problem is what we do. I love it. Let's get into what are some of the causes of these um, imbalances or consequences of, of what the main culprit is. 
Yeah, with PCOS, um, insulin resistance really is a primary one. And it's one of those, they don't really know what came first, the chicken or the egg. Is the insulin resistance triggering the PCOS in the first place? Or, you know, is the PCOS the reason for the insulin resistance? But regardless, they both make each other worse and feed off each other. So um, high insulin tells your ovaries to make more testosterone. Testosterone is an androgen, which is a male hormone, and we do need some for things like energy and sex drive. Um, but when it gets out of control, that's where you start to notice those symptoms like acne, facial hair, that male pattern hair loss. Um, I'm not talking about overall thinning, I'm talking about like the top of the scalp, you know, the temples, that typical male pattern. Um, so those are very typical with. Um, so we focus on the insulin resistance. We focus on the inflammation because the hormones are involved. Like I said, we have to figure out where it's coming from for the specific person. So if it's someone who it's coming more from the ovaries in the form of testosterone, then we really have to work on that insulin resistance piece. Um, there are some things you can, you can do to help lower um, testosterone, things like spearmint tea, things like flax seeds can help. Um, if it's coming more from the adrenals in the form of DHEA, unfortunately, that's really all about the lifestyle. You know, you've got to like manage stress, like it's your job, you've got to get enough sleep, um, you've got to reduce those internal stressors, things like you know, going on a, a restrictive diet that puts stress on your body or eating foods that don't work for your body or exercising too hard. Um, if you have a, a PCOS that's more adrenal in nature, um, unfortunately, it's all about the lifestyle. And I feel like that's so much harder to deal with than when it's like, oh, just take this supplement for this problem or just eat this food for that problem. Because, um, you know, we, we do all we can to manage stress, but it's, it's one of those, like, it's not even day by day. Sometimes it's, it's minute by minute. Definitely. So. Definitely. Well, I've heard you, like, even in the last 20 minutes, talk about things like balancing blood sugar, decreasing inflammation, um, really working on sleep and those internal, like, stressors because stress is obviously driving that adrenal process that leads to PCOS. Can you give me kind of an overview looking at blood sugar balance and inflammation, what specific recommendations you're giving people? Um, and especially around like sleep and, and stressors, because, you know, there are definitely times when I'm seeing a client, they haven't had a period, they've been diagnosed with PCOS, they really want to get their period back, they're in their late 20s, they're really worried about if they're going to be able to have children, and it's just like, it's all they can think about, <laughs> and um, and they, they'll come to me and say, like, I shouldn't be doing any, everything I've read says I shouldn't do any working out, and I shouldn't do, ex and I just would love your opinion and like recommendations around how you're working with clients in your practice to, to balance their blood sugar, decrease inflammation, sleep recommendations, and then really like going into the lifestyle piece. Like what really have you seen work to bring periods back? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's, it's not the super sexy answer, but it's going back to basics. Like you actually don't have to cut out any foods or whole food groups. Um, you know, I think my recommendations around food for blood sugar balancing are very similar to the things you recommend. You know, we focus on getting enough protein evenly dispersed throughout the day. Um, you know, those healthy fats, um, you know, much higher than, you know, we were led to believe is good for us. Um, you know, fiber that's coming primarily from fruits vegetables, legumes, whole grains, um, and just really, you know, focusing on those balanced meals always. And I know how hard it is. I mean, a blood sugar balancing diet is not harmful for anyone, really. I mean, it's pretty much the way that I eat. And I, I know how easy it is when you're like really, really busy and you're like 
starving. You're like, I'm just going to grab a handful of pretzels. Um, But that's so bad for you. It's like, just take those two seconds, go grab the almonds too, and balance it out so that you're not spiking your blood sugar at any given moment. Um, the anti-inflammatory piece, you know, like I said, we we minimize. I never talk about avoid or eliminate. It's just not realistic for a condition that is a lifelong condition to expect them to give something up forever. Or like to never ne- eat out. <laughs> never going to eat pizza again. Um, you know, so minimize the exposure to especially things like fried foods, those like processed vegetable oils. Um, you know to be mindful of sugar consumption and conscious of added sugars in things. Um, you know, I kind of, we talk about the concept of a sugar budget, which, you know, I kind of, I like the um, WHO guidelines for sugar. You know, it comes out to around 25 grams a day, which is like a nice little bit of wiggle room. Like you're not going to be able to have your, Starbucks venti pumpkin spice latte every day <laughs> on that sugar budget, but you're going to be able to have a dark chocolate peanut butter cup with lunch or something like that, you yeah. know, to help help yourself not feel so restricted. Um, so that's the diet piece. We, oh, also the gut. We didn't even talk about the metabolizing hormones part. You know, the the place where metabolizing hormones or getting rid of the hormones that we make goes wrong for most people is in the liver, which can be genetic or just general liver health. Um, And then the gut, you know, if you're not, if you don't have healthy digestion, your hormones cannot be healthy. Um, So you really have to focus on gut health. So we incorporate that piece into the diet as well. Again, they should already be eating lots of fiber and lots of colorful fruits and veggies work on getting some prebiotics in there, some natural probiotics, like fermented foods, um, things like that. And then the lifestyle piece, yeah, we talked about sleep, stress, and exercise. So sleep, um, absolutely. There's all sorts of research that not getting enough sleep um, not only makes you more insulin resistant, but actually affects the amount you eat and the type of foods you eat when you are when you haven't had enough sleep. Um, so you could be shooting yourself in the foot if you're not getting enough sleep. Um, stress, stress is a hard one. You know, I think we're all under stress. It just it becomes a matter of managing the stress and controlling what you can control, letting go of what you can't control, actively working stress management into your day-to-day. You know, something like meditation or yoga or time spent in nature, um, chilling out with some music, something like that. Whatever works for you, it's very individual. Um, And then exercise. Yeah, I get that question all the time too. Like, what kind of exercise should I do? Is it true I can't do intense exercise? And honestly, the answer is really, it depends. Um, it depends on your personal adrenal health, what the rest of your lifestyle looks like, if you're properly fueling yourself, how well you're sleeping. Um, you know, exercise can kind of, we have energy to exercise when we have slept enough and eaten enough. So, um, if that's you, a good point. Yeah. So <laughs> it's like, like if you don't, have the energy to exercise, you're probably not there yet in terms of proper fuel and proper sleep. Definitely. If you want to be an athlete, you got to feel like one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can't just throw yourself into a hit training class on your Vente uh, cold brew and call well, it today. Well, you can, but you're going to pay for it later. I mean, I think, you know, I'm a good example of that having burned through, you know, my New York City lifestyle for so long. <laughs> Definitely. Let's do, I like to go deep. So let's dive a little deeper into the gut health and liver piece in regards to the metabolism of hormones. Are there specific places where we metabolize specific hormones or are all hormones metabolized in the gut and the liver? Um, they all start in the liver. Um, hormone detox is a three-step process. Phase one um, is where those 
you know, they're kind of considered toxins once you're done using them. So your body has to get rid of them just like any toxin or medication. So it goes through phase one detox. Um, in order to do phase one detox, we need um, cruciferous vegetables, citrus fruits, berries, um, you know, all those things that love on your liver. I think the liver is a little underloved in society. It's it's not cute, you know, um, but it does really everything for us. So um, you really want to focus on that, you know, all the things, the leafy green vegetables, the lemon juice, like all of that helps with phase one detox. Um, then once it's um, conjugated up, um, it has to become water soluble and go into the stool for disposal. So phase two detox, um, this is where my personal detox goes wrong. Um, I have all the genes that block estrogen metabolism. Um, you know, so this is where genetics really can come into play. Things like comps, things like MTHFR. Um, so if, if you have the genes that are mutated, you're not going to be methylating as well as someone who doesn't have mutated genes. And so as a result, um, those hormones can start to build up. In my case, estrogen was building up because it wasn't going through that phase two. Um, and then once you've gone through phase two, then it's ready for disposal in phase three. Um, we have this really pesky little enzyme in our gut called beta-glucuronidase, which kind of the liver ties estrogen into a little bow for disposal, a little package with a bow. And beta-glucuronidase comes in and unties the packages and lets it roam back around again to cause symptoms. Um, so I always start with the gut. You know, it's, you got to work from the bottom up, basically. So if the gut's not working, we've got to get that working. We've got to get you pooping every day minimum. Um, and then you've got to work on phase two and then you've got to work on phase one. Well, let's work backwards then. So let's mm -hmm. work. Let's go. Let's go phase three. Let's get everyone pooping every day. Let's work on optimizing gut health. What are, what are some tools in your toolbox that you use to help people? Yeah, really gentle. You know, we, we start with the fiber, making sure they're drinking enough water. I think people forget about water when it comes to, um, gut health, but it's really important. Those, um, you know, eating cruciferous vegetables and fermented foods to restore a healthy gut flora. A really interesting thing about PCOS is that the gut microbiome in women with PCOS is actually different than in women without PCOS. Again, it's kind of like, which came first, the gut dysbiosis or the PCOS, we don't really know. Um, yeah. But yeah, gut health becomes really important in PCOS. Um, and then... How do you have yeah. people prioritize? Like water is, I feel like, an easy one. Are you like a half your body weight in ounces a day type of a person? Or are you just like... Um, do you have any specifics on that? And then the fiber, I know you talked about it being from like vegetables, fruits. Are you having people incorporate fiber supplements? Is it sort of like a meal thing? What? Yeah. So water, we go individually. You know, I think everybody's needs are different depending on where they live, how much they're exercising, things like that. I find most people are not drinking enough water. Um, you really should gauge it by your urine. You want your urine to be pale yellow and not dark yellow. Um, on the other hand, if it's like, you know, purely clear, then you're probably overhydrating. If you're peeing every 30 minutes, you're probably overhydrated. Um, Fiber, yeah, I generally don't do fiber uh, supplements. Um, I, you know, it's abundant in food, so it's really easy to get. If you're eating those balanced meals, you should be getting plenty of fiber. Um, I'll go to something like like the flax, ground flax in water before recommending something like, you know, a psyllium or something like that. Um, mm. You know, if we're talking purely gut health. Um, and then, you know, maybe something like chia seeds soaked in water, kiwi, um, actually has some studies showing it can alleviate uh, constipation. 
So, you know, some of those little tricks. And then if that doesn't work, then we'll go to something like a gentle magnesium, um, see if that works. Um, you also want to be, you know, making sure you're moving your body regularly. That can help too if you're not going regularly. Um, yeah, so that's that's generally my strategies. It usually works for most people. It's kind of amazing, you know, a couple weeks in to working with each other. Um, you know, they're suddenly pooping again and they're like a new person. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like that will totally throw a day off. If you're if you're constipated and not feeling your best, like that can feel horrible. That's that's not how you, you don't you don't want. Yeah, I have to say, um, you know, most women when they start working with me aren't eating breakfast, and when I ask them why it's not some um, intermittent fasting situation, it's because they're not hungry. Um, 90% of the time, the reason why they're not hungry is because they're not pooping. So they're literally full up and yeah. they like, can't add any food on top of that. So yeah. It's yeah. kind of a slippery slope. Then they're not eating. They're not triggering the digestion that can trigger the bowel movement that can... Yeah. And that's really important to mention too, because you know there can be underlying root causes why the gut's not working. If, if those sort of measures don't get you going regularly, then you have to consider, you know, deeper things. Is there, is there SIBO? Is there, you know, what's going on with their history of eating disorder? Because there vagal nerve damage, something going on that the, the brain's not communicating to the gut that it's time to go. Definitely. Big things to consider for sure. Well, I love it. This is, you know, this is why I've, uh, I'm going to say had a crush on your work, but it's because it's so balanced and just like a very holistic, natural, balanced approach to getting everything back online. But I think when we start to pull back the layers and say like, well, what, why would we need to do that? And that I think the why becomes the driving force, not like, hey, here's a list of things I want you to eat every day, but really like, hey, if we look at, at, detoxing hormones and you have elevated estrogen and we know that phase three happens in the gut and we know we need a healthy gut to do that. And so that we're not untying all these packages and causing, <laughs> causing estrogen to just kind of get recycled around. What can we do to do that? And that is, is as simple as taking care of yourself and eating those fiber rich veggies, drinking water and, and not putting off digestion because we're full, but like really trying to get it back online. I know I get, I get like a little bit, I'm very open to intermittent fasting. I've used it. I like the grandma style of like, Hey, you have breakfast at nine or 10 in the morning and you finish dinner at five or six. That looks like fasting to me. It doesn't have to be a 3 PM start. Um, <laughs> cause I think that that, that has people leaning on caffeine too much. And then you're really thinking about like adrenal issues, elevated adrenaline, elevated cortisol and all the blood sugar side effects that come from that. But, um, but I love this. So phase three detoxification really has to do with getting your gut online. And phase two, uh, you touched on it, is more genes. What are some genes that you look for if someone were to do a 23andMe test and they want to know, do I have good detoxification? Yeah, um, definitely MTHFR, which... I think more and more people are starting to know about at least in the fertility realm because um, that's the one that affects how your body processes folic acid, which is the synthetic form of folate that's found in in foods. It's added to foods. It's not naturally found in foods. Um, so if you're not able to to convert that folic acid into active folate, that can cause homocysteine to start to rise, which is a measure of inflammation. Um, and it's going to prevent your, your estrogen from going down the right pathway. Um, the other one, and the one that's the problem for me, is COMT, C-O-M-T. Um, they call that the warrior versus the warrior gene. Um, I have two mutations on that. So it means nothing's getting down there. Um, <laughs> So if you've got those gene mutations, you really have to support methylation, which means, you know, the B vitamins that are involved in that process. So folate, B12, B6, 
Um, you need some magnesium. You need a muscle donor to make the whole wheel spin. So, um, you know, if you think back to like biology um, class, organic bio or organic chem with the um, carbon and three hydrogens, the little methyl group, and it gets kind of passed around the circle. Um, so, in order to make that spin, you need a muscle donor. Um, some people recommend Sam E as one. I don't love it. it. Makes my brain feel like it's trying to claw its way out of my skull. <laughs> I'm a big fan of glycine. Glycine's, you know, really calming, easy to take. Um, I will say, you know, the whole thing with genetic mutations, though, is that just because you have a mutation doesn't mean it's actually expressing. So I would never recommend stuff like that based just on a 23andMe or, you know, some sort of genetic profile, Um, you know, but if I see those and then I see on a Dutch test that no estrogen is getting down that pathway, then it's like, okay, yeah, we actually have to work on methylation. I love that. Yeah. You treat treat the person individually um, based on diagnostic, but based on their, their results. Yeah. And, you know, I have had clients who who have those gene mutations and then they're methylating just beautifully and their homocysteines within normal levels and they're just, they're doing great. So, you know, usually there are the ones who are already eating pretty well before they started working with me. Yeah, that definitely plays a role. Um, so let's take it back. That's a perfect segue. Let's take it back to uh, phase one detox and what can and does support liver health. Yeah. So first of all, um, and I know, again, detox is kind of a dirty word. Um, so our livers can do the job. I mean, I see posts all the time that are like, oh, you have a liver, you have kidneys, you don't need to detox. Like, well, yeah, theoretically, but you know, um, our livers are a little overburdened right now, <laughs> um, to put it lightly. Um, you know, we're just, we're exposed to so many more chemicals now than we ever have before. So many that can kind of gunk up the works. And, you know, I remember, for example, uh, in nutrition class, my very first nutrition class where I learned that alcohol is such a toxin that your liver stops all other jobs until it has cleared the alcohol from your body. That's like thousands of jobs that it's not doing while it's getting rid of that alcohol. And, you know, our liver does some pretty important things, um, especially when it comes to getting rid of hormones, like we want it to be working. So, you know, the things that you're exposing your liver to that are having a negative impact are those chemicals that are, you know, basically everywhere and impossible to avoid, but you know, we, we really can do our best to minimize them with the choices we're making. Um, the obvious things like not drinking in excess, not smoking, minimizing medications, you know, not prescriptions, you know, see your doctor before you go off a of medication. Right. But, you know, you want to minimize the things that your liver has to do on top of its normal duties. Um, and then, you know, the things that, that make your liver happy are things like quality protein and nutrients, um, cruciferous vegetables, citrus, berries, all the, all the things. Um, you know, I always kind of laugh when I see like juice fasts because you're not giving your liver the protein it needs to detox properly. So, um, you know, it's just kind of expensive uh, vitamin water, basically. Yeah. Can you go a little bit deeper into that and then explain how protein plays a role in detoxification in the liver? Because that's something that I have seen as well. And it is a little, it is a little bit frustrating, but I think if people understood the science, then they would act a little bit differently. Yeah. We need protein to make enzymes. Um, Enzymes make anything happen in the body. So if we don't have the proteins to make the enzymes we need to carry out those chemical reactions that turn things from one thing into another thing, 
um, then we're we're just not going to be able to do it. Um, amino acids, like when we eat protein, there's all the different amino acids and they go into what's called the amino acid pool. And there's a limiting factor. So if you're not getting enough of a certain amino acid, you're only going to make enough enzymes or proteins out of what is up to that level, um, the lowest one. Right. Kind of like the lowest common denominator. So that's why it's really important to eat um, protein from various sources. And ideally, you know, the higher quality protein, the better. Yeah, I think um, you bring up a perfect point because, um, you know, there is a lot of, there are a lot of documentaries, there are a lot of people leaning into a plant-based lifestyle. And I talk about a plant-based lifestyle in my second book and that if that is someone's personal choice, I love that, but we just need to be responsible based on getting enough complete protein. You know, even with clients who I have who, will only eat fish or have bone broth or do a collagen supplement. And I look at bone broth and collagen supplements and think, you know, they're incomplete protein. Yes, they're giving you glycine. That's amazing. Um, but fish might be the only complete protein they're willing to eat. And it's a couple times a week. And I, don't, I just don't think the education's there on like, what does it make? Neurotransmitters, hormones, enzymes, cells, like everything. Um, and also a major like supporter of blood sugar balance and making you feel satisfied. So it's like it, but it gets such a bad reputation that people feel like they shouldn't be eating it or it's, it grosses them out or, but mostly it's because of what they've learned, not how they feel. No. And I, I, you know, I've been there myself. I, you know, right out of college, uh, tried to be vegan for a year and um, that didn't go so well. Like it was like no matter how many almonds I ate, I was <laughs> always like my blood sugar was always crashing. Um, like inconvenient places like at the gym, you know, yeah. on the <laughs> machine. I'd be like, I'm gonna save. <laughs> um, and then um I was pescatarian with eggs for a really, really long time. And um that was working well for me for a little while, you know, for, for a while. Um, and then suddenly I started craving red meat, like really craving red meat. And I can't even tell you like the difference it's made in my own personal health. Like even while eating fish, you know, semi-regularly three, four times a week and eggs almost every day, um, my iron was always like hanging on the borderline, my B12, I could never get it up to normal. Um, and now it's like effortless. You know, last time I had my iron checked, it was like better than it's ever been. And it's like, oh, I eat red meat a couple times a week and, you know, eat more animal protein than I used to. Um, sometimes, you know, and I understand there's ethical concerns, um, you know, and, and the things we want to do, but sometimes we, we have to put our own health first. Yeah. When you think about the health of, of the world, it's only like going to be as healthy as the people protecting it. And like, you know, we look at our, our, I don't know, I look at our society as a whole and with all these massive increases in lifestyle-based diseases that diet and lifestyle can fix, it's really, it is really hard for me. And, you know, you talked about it, you talked about, um, you know, what, what does it, what do you need for methylation? You need B vitamins. You need magnesium. Like, and when you think about iron, I don't think people even realize it. This is something I go in major detail in in my pregnancy course because I just I wanted people to understand what a nutrient level looked like from red meat, from fish, from eggs, but really just to like highlight it because I think people think like, oh, well, I can just get be all eat broccoli for that, or I'll have kale for that iron. And it's a completely different type of iron. And it's not the iron that your body needs to deliver nutrients all over your body. And these nutrients are used for methylation. They're used for to create energy and ATP. And you're just like, what? Um, but it also, any weight loss clinic you ever go to is going to be like, hey, here's your, here's your B complex shot. Because this is totally a, this is a, you know, like a bottleneck for you. It can be a major issue. Um, which, I talk, yeah. yeah, I talk about um, animal protein in my PCOS course as well, um, because 
you know, I, I want to highlight the, the difference in calorie level. Even though we don't talk about calories or harp on calories, you know, if you consider that you can get 25 grams of protein from about 120 calories worth of chicken, but you would have to eat 660 calories of beans to get the same amount of protein and it's not as usable a form of protein, um, you can see how it starts to add up. (laughs) Yeah. And it just kind of lends itself to a really restrictive diet if you're looking to live that life and be a specific body composition. Mm -hmm. And if, if going to the doctor and being diagnosed with PCOS and they don't have the resources or the education to understand that lifestyle could play a major role. And they just say, well, you need to lose weight and here's the pill. And you are vegetarian or vegan and you start to count calories to do that. Then you're limiting things that are giving you complete proteins to make enzymes, to do the liver detox, to bring, you know, it's just this sort of slippery slope, unfortunately. I see a lot of women who are mostly plant-based who are really struggling with weight. Um, because it is, it's such a high starch diet, unless you're eating soy three times a day, um, which, you know, um, soy is fine, absolutely fine to eat. Um, I don't think we should be eating anything three times a day. Um, Or you're eating those processed, you know, imitation meat products that are filled with those inflammatory chemicals and fats. Yeah. It's good on you to say soy is fine. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm not on that. I'm not in that camp, but, um, but I totally, I totally appreciate that and uh, the openness to that because that's sometimes what people, you know, like that's the only way that they're going to get the protein that makes them feel full. Yeah. Soy, um, of course, like the soy that I say is okay is the whole soy, like a little bit of edamame, a little bit of tempeh, a little bit of tofu. Not the soy protein isolate. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally different. Yeah. Food versus not food. <laughs> right, right. Well, I love this because when I think about someone who maybe is being faced with PCOS and coming and listening to this podcast, I, just even in what we covered today, let's say they did a 23andMe test and didn't know that they had MTHFR comped, or maybe they have estrogen dominance and didn't know that they had those things or realized like, yeah, I'm not really including bitter leafy greens, cruciferous vegetables, citrus berries, and my body needs that. Or maybe they're not eating breakfast and they're not going to the bathroom and these triggers aren't happening. It's just, there are some major takeaways that we've talked about today that I think are, are really supportive from a very balanced perspective. Um, Let's get into um, amenorrhea with the loss of a period and um, and what you recommend to support people to bring those period, bring the period back. Yeah, I actually don't work with women with hypothalamic amenorrhea in um, in my programs or one on one, and the reason for that is you know I really like the complicated stuff. Um, I like being able to solve the problems. Let's figure out your root causes. And there was really only like one root cause of most hypothalamic amenorrhea, barring any serious medical issue like pituitary growth or an adrenal growth or something like that, which you should be. I was just getting a DM this morning about that. Um, You should work with a doctor to rule those things out before you assume it's your diet and lifestyle. But the, you know, underlying cause for most of it is under fueling. So that can happen in a number of ways. It can happen from not eating enough food. Um, it, in terms of calories, it can mean um, you know, maybe eating enough calories for someone of your size and age, but not enough for someone who's exercising as much as you are. Um, it could mean that your stress level is so, so high um, that you really have to double down on counterbalancing it with calories and rest. Um, I did, um, you know, a couple of years back, have a client who was an emergency room doctor and her only form of stress relief was running. 
So she was a pretty, you know, about the highest stress job you can have (laughs) right up there with like firefighter. Um, And um, yeah, and she wasn't sleeping much and she was, she was running like four or five times a week. We had to go up to about 3,500 calories a day to get her periods back because, you know, there was just that much to counterbalance and she wasn't willing to let any of it go. Yeah. I mean, well, that's such a beautiful story though, because I think any other woman, especially if she's gone through medical school and she's a long distance runner and she's in the ER and she's like, I'm sure dealing with people who come coming in with inflammation and, and, you know, issues with diabetes or whatever, she's probably hyper aware of her food and would probably nowhere near 3,500 calories. Oh yeah. No, I mean, I, I think she was, she was doing pretty well. I think she was probably around 1800, like not, not, she like wasn't restrictive. Yeah. yeah, no, she wasn't following a, a weight loss diary, uh, diet. She was actually like normal weight. Um, she just, yeah, had that much stress in her life was like, oh, we really, you need to rest. Like it's your job when you have time off, you need to, I, we had to get her doing, um, shakes she could bring with her to work because she would go like 10, 12 hour shifts without eating anything. Um, you know, ER. So we we ended up doing a lot of protein shakes for her so she could just kind of chug one in the break room, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you have to do what you have to do to like, uh, tell your body it's going to be okay. (laughs) It's safe safe here. Like you're fueled and fed. Um, what was her body's response to that increase in caloric load? She did put on a little bit of weight. Um, I was working with her through an IVF cycle. She had had um, two previous IVF cycles fail. They got no viable eggs. Um, and after we worked together, she did get three viable eggs um, through her IVF cycle. She was actually looking for a gestational carrier because she didn't think with her lifestyle she could successfully carry a pregnancy. Wow. Yeah. Look at that though. Like that's the perfect example of if you don't have a period and you're not getting viable eggs, your, your body has shut that part of yourself down for an actual reason. It's scared to death of whatever stress you're putting it through in the ER and then running out of the ER to calm your body down is not the antidote to that, right? Yeah, I mean, and I mean, you know, and, and I totally relate. And I think, you know, she's like a lot of my clients, those, you know, kind of high power boss lady is like accomplishing amazing things in the world. But, you know, when your health is always coming last, something, something's got to give at a certain point, you know? Definitely. Well, I love it because I know there's going to be someone listening that, really wants their period back and then actually looks at their life and how long they're on Zoom calls and what they're doing to de- decompress. And they may be like, oh yeah, well, I'm at 16, 18 hundred calories a day. I'm not under eating, but that might, this might be the story that literally changes lives. So it's that kind of practical advice and in practice education that you learn when you're working with clients and to bring periods back. So I love it. Thank you so much for your time today. I feel really excited. I'm really excited to put this episode out and just obviously love your balanced approach. Um, If someone wants to work with you, if they've dealt with PCOS or um, hormone imbalances, where is the best place to reach you? What resources do you have for them? Give them everything, Melissa. Yeah, on uh, my website is thehormonedietitian.com. Um, you can find my programs there. I do run PCOS group programs. I do have quite a wait list for one-on-one um, for PCOS or fertility. Um, I do a PCOS online course. We just wrapped up the last one for this year or so. That will be launching again in 2021. Um, my book, A Balanced Approach to PCOS, you can find it anywhere books are sold. Um, and I spend most of my time on Instagram. That's where you can you can find me. I'm the dot hormone dietitian there. Love it. Thank you so much for your time today and for doing all that you do to help um, the unheard be heard and uh, really start to understand their body. So. Uh, Today was great and we have so many 
just applicable tips for people to go start incorporating in a very balanced way, which, you know, I heart you for that. I very much appreciate that, that balanced uh, approach. So thank you for having me. I feel like we could talk for another hour. I know, I know. And we will, we will. When this COVID thing is over, I'm coming to hang out. All right, the deal. <laughs> well, thanks, love. All right, thank you. Thank you for listening to Be Well by Kelly. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more at bewellbykelly.com and follow me on Instagram at bewellbykelly. I would love if you picked up my books, Body Love and Body Love Every Day. They're sold on Amazon and at all major booksellers. 